Hi, I'm Dr. Kevin Cheng, founder of Asana, a health service dedicated to transforming lives through prevention. Over the years, I have reflected with colleagues on what we wish people did so they can avoid pain, surgery, or developing a chronic disease. Often the answer lies in embracing a proactive mindset and putting healthy lifestyle practices into action. By doing this, the upside is not only better health, but also saving us time, money, and stress in the long run. In this podcast, I'm joined with my friend Saxon Piggott to chat with a new health expert each week. We'll cover practical ways to look after ourselves, how to prevent illness, and ways we can be inspired to live well. Welcome to Prevention Hacks, the weekly conversation where we go to health experts for advice, so you don't have to. Um, Edwina Wenkart, thank you so much for joining our podcast, Prevention Hacks. Um, by way of introduction, you're Director of PenCS, and I was looking at your bio up and Director of Care Monitor and other, other businesses as well. And uh, PenCS, uh, for GPs like me around Australia, we know it very well. It's um, at the forefront of sharing information so that we can help patients in the health system. Um, so it's wonderful to have you on the show to talk about all things health informatics and, and, and data related. Thanks, Cameron. Thanks, Saxon. Welcome. So maybe we could kick off by um, just defining what health information is. And um, I suppose we'll get into how it's being shared and how it's being used in the health system. Um, so what is health, health information? Health information could be described as any information that explains clinically or even in terms of demographics, information about an individual. So if you have a pre-existing condition such as diabetes or cardiovascular disease, it could also be any recent pathology tests that you've had. It could include demographic information such as your sex, gender, name, ethnicity. So there's a variety of information from demographic and clinical that we include in health information. Great. Um, when I talk to um, our, our patients, our members, there's often a understanding, an understanding that that information is shared across the, the health system. And so when we see them in our medical clinics, um, there's an assumption that the hospital information is shared or information from another GP is shared, but that's not always the case. And I suppose health information is not always shared across the entire uh, system. Would that be right? Um, uh, health information is shared in so many ways. It's so powerful for us to use data-driven improvement in healthcare. And the way that it gets shared is through different technology solutions. At Penn, we have software that helps general practices to share their data. And we work a lot in the general practice environment in primary care. And one of the things that we're doing is helping practices share their data with population health government organisations called primary health networks who like to use that data to be able to make informed decisions. When they can make informed decisions, it means that they can allocate resources, they can commission services, and they can help patients in need. They can actually make sure that people that are suffering from diabetes get care for diabetes because they have transparency around what's happening for that condition in a specific geographic area. 
The other thing that's really important about sharing information is that it has to be consented. Um, we cannot share information that has not been consented. So the first thing is patients have to opt in and this happens in their practice. If they don't want to share their data with their, from the general practice, they can opt out. And that is honoured in uh, every general practice across Australia as far as I'm aware. And secondly, once they've opted in, there's two types of data that you can share. You can share identifiable data or de-identified data. If de-identified data is shared, it means that it doesn't contain any recognisable demographic information. So that data is not able to be traced back to the individual. Okay. Does, this, does this fit in with uh, MyGov? How, how does this integrate with, with that rollout? Uh, with MyGov and My Health Record? Yeah, that's a really good question. So My Health Record is currently uh, sitting as its own record, uh, you know, that is managed and, and owned, I guess, by the government. Uh, it is connected to some of the patient management systems and doctors can upload some information from their general practice, patient management systems, but it is very much case by case. So there'll be some doctors that actively use it and actively upload information and there'll be others that don't. And I think it's, you know, it's exciting to have a shared record uh, that you know that you can access anywhere, anytime, especially in cases of emergency. Uh, it's still early days and, you know, there's still a lot of evolution that, that is happening right now around my health record. Do you think there'll come a time where all of these systems are going to converge and there'll be a lot more integration? Absolutely. We, we have to converge our systems. If you look overseas in the UK, for example, they have a healthcare identifier. Each individual has a unique ID that's used for their healthcare. And this means that they're able to actually see a journey, a patient journey. So you get sick, you go to your doctor, your doctor refers you to a specialist. The specialist may need you to undergo certain help with allied health professionals like a physiotherapist, or you may end up having surgery and going to hospital. And then when you leave hospital, you may go to some kind of rehabilitation hospital. You know, there's so many different parts and the more that we can start to see how this journey evolves for each individual patient, the more we can make informed decisions about making sure people get the right care at the right time. So it's good for, if I was to think about for the health system, Edwina, it's good for the health system to be sharing information, as you say, so that we can work out who needs more support and resources uh, with specific risk factors or specific conditions. So for, for planning purposes, it's good to have that data at a, uh, as you described, a population level. Um, are there, so if patients are thinking about, do they share their information, do they opt into my health or not? What about for the individual? Is there, are there benefits for patients to be sharing their information at an um, individual level? Yeah, there's so many opportunities for us as individuals to decide to share our health information. We could be involved in specific research and clinical trials, and those clinical trials might enable us to have access to new medications that can actually help solve and prevent further illness. So 
being able to share your health information for the better of medical science is something exciting. And, you know, people that have breast cancer, for example, and they know that in their family it's genetic and they have the breast cancer gene, you know, those people may choose to participate in different research for helping solve that condition. And it's because they share their health from it health information and become part of those research studies that we're able to advance medicine in Western society. What about, uh, what about the risks? Mm -hmm. um, obviously you can't talk about data without talking about mm -hmm. risks. Um, how, how, are, how are risks being managed in Australia around data privacy? Data privacy is uh, very, you know, very important, very, very important. And, you know, we at Penn take it very, very seriously. It is, uh, something that needs to be managed from a security point of view, governance point of view, an ethics point of view, um, a legal point of view, and also just an individual comfort point of view. You know, we need to know that if we're going to, as an individual, if I'm going to share my data, you know, if I'm a patient and I want to share my data with my doctor or with somebody else other than my doctor, you know, I'd like to know that it's going to be respected and looked after. I don't want my data to be used to, you know, come back to me in a marketing campaign and try to sell me more products. I don't want to receive notifications around new medications that, you know, I should be taking um, unless I know that it is actually helpful and that my doctor has also provided their guidance and recommendation around those types of new medications. So it's really important, you know, with data to understand what data you're sharing as an individual. You know, do you know what's being, how your data is being used and what it's being used for? And are you comfortable that it's happening in a safe, secure, and also a way that respects your privacy? I'm a bit of a blockchain nerd. <laughs> um, are you seeing any uh, advances that are heading in that direction? Well, blockchain is a distributed model, so you need mass uptake for it to really take off. And I think it's still in its early stages right now. Um, there's definitely two ways that you can approach data sharing. You can go with big data and have huge data sets, which are, you know, in some ways they can be more prone to penetration. Like once you're in, you're in. And we know like everyone can get hacked. You know, no one is impenetrable. Uh, so, you know, that's one, one consideration. The other consideration is that you have the distributed model of data. And, you know, this is actually a really interesting model and it's something that Penn's very interested in. How do you enable the practices to retain as the data custodians? And, you know, the general practices right now looking after that data and protecting that data. And they're also helping populate that data. The doctors are working with the patients to complete the patient record. How do you create a distributor model where you can still you know, share data for the good of the population, but if something happened, if that data got hacked or, or you know, was penetrated in some way, it's not a huge big data set that we're getting access to. It's a very tiny subset of the population. And that does protect us as a country, you know, as opposed to if we have these big, big databases that get um, exposed in some way. Like a central central database. Once you've mm -hmm. got it, you've got it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Also processing power. You know, if we're talking about the technical side of things and how easy it is to work with the data, 
Distributed model also enables distributed processing. So we can do lots of little things in small bite-sized pieces. Now there's some things that, you know, need a large database to be able to inform say machine learning and things like that. But uh, once you've reached a certain level of machine learning, you can probably implement some of these things at a more local level. So it's going back to that, you know, think global, act local. There, seems, there seem to be so many benefits between the two, sharing information for, for planning um, at an individual level, as, as you say. Um, I gave a talk about the future of healthcare uh, last week, and we we're talking about all the um, interesting and exciting technology that's coming our way. And in many ways, COVID has accelerated that. So everything from artificial intelligence to uh, robotics and nanotechnology. Um, I was looking at examples and, and you know, examples of like Tesla cars when someone has had a heart attack and become unconscious would drive them automatically to a hospital and Apple watches being health devices. So there's so, so much, um, uh, so much benefit from technology, but also specifically data. And as opposed with the, uh, with the risks, uh, as you described, there are safeguards in place. There's regulations, there's firewalls and, and we can limit the um, sharing. Um, what are some of the barriers then, I suppose, would be in the next question to sharing more information so we can really harness the power of data, both in small data sets or, or big data, as you say? Is it the technology yeah. or is it sort of people? You know, what, what stops us from sharing yeah. information? Uh, the, one of the barriers in Australia is uh, that, you know, we have a federated uh, Commonwealth. So that means that we have different state rules and federal rules. And that legislation is prohibitive in sharing data in some ways. So I don't believe it's technology. Technology is usually able to solve many, many situations. And there may be a challenge, but you can usually work through it and come to some kind of solution. But it is definitely the way that, you know, Australia's been formed over these many years. And uh, we need to break down some of the silos. It's very important that we collaborate and work together. And, you know, recently they've instigated collaborative commissioning between primary health networks and local health districts. And that's really important in breaking down those data silos. Uh, we've also seen with COVID, uh, as you say, there's been an instant sharing of data that wasn't able to be shared before. But there's still more to do. And interoperability, you know, which is all about connectedness and connecting software is very important, as too is uh, data standardization so how do we ensure that you know when you're sharing data sets that they're meaningful and that they mean the same thing uh, and that data is able to be used so it's all about data utility do we have data standards in australia for health we have a, uh, a proactive, <laughs> a very proactive group that are working towards standardising different patient information, um, working towards an international standard called SNOMED. Um, we're also looking more technically at a data exchange uh, standard, which is called HS7 FIRE. Uh, these are the, some of the things that will kind of help, but there's still a lot of lack of standardization even 
within that standardization. So for an example, if you map to SNOMED, you're essentially mapping, you know, a big Excel spreadsheet. You have data items and you have to map them to SNOMED. Well, each organization is going to be deciding the rules of how they map their data to SNOMED. So while we're creating more interoperability, because once it's all in SNOMED, we can share it more easily, we still need to be able to investigate the underlying data and what decisions were made to match data A with SNOMED A. So I hope that that helps explain a little bit. It is uh, more detailed and, and can be quite complex, but we're on the pathway, but there's a long way to go. Yeah, uh, going down the rabbit hole, but basically it's about the inconsistencies in the way that data has been put together, right? It is, it is. Over the years, all the different software systems have, you know, created their own codes. Um, there hasn't been a data standard. And so these codes evolved over many, 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 many years with many, many, many different inputs from physicians and developers and different decision makers. And, you know, now we're at a point where we're really trying to connect these codes that are at the back end of the software. What does the future look like? Where do you think that this is going to add value? Do we have a sense of where we're headed with this and, and if there's anything groundbreaking that we're going to be able to do with it once we've got all that data? Yeah. So there's several steps to the future. Um, there's the short term, there's the midterm, there's the long term. Uh, it's really exciting. You know, what we can do with, with healthcare data is very exciting. Uh, but we also have to keep in mind that the data quality is going to determine how useful the data is going to be. And when I'm talking about data quality, I'm talking about is it a complete record? Have we got all the details for that patient to be able to make an informed decision? So data linkage is really important, being able to link data sets across the healthcare system, general practice data with hospital data or mental health data sets. The next step along with that is about risk stratification. How do we use that linked data now to identify patients who really need care, who need urgent care? And how do we not let them fall through the healthcare system? Some people will be very vocal, they'll turn up in the emergency departments, they'll call triple zero, but other people will be sitting at home suffering and they won't be reaching out for help. And we want to be able to help those people. We want to be able to predict that they're going to need help and we want to be able to prevent them from ending up in hospital. So risk stratification is going to be really important for us in the next few years. The next step beyond risk stratification is clinical decision support. So now that we've identified the patients in most need, how do we proactively reach out and prevent them from getting more sick? So clinical decision support can provide this advice and guidance at point of care to healthcare providers. And it could be anything from recommending that they should go and have a bowel cancer screening to recommending that they have a diabetes screening or any other condition and the recommendation to follow the best practice guidelines uh, that are put in place by, for example, the RACGP. That's a great link back, I guess, to the purpose of the podcast, uh, which is all about prevention. Um, so is that the future where we're, we're going to be in a, in a world where uh, we're getting more notifications about risks and that we need to go and manage those and, and sort of, I guess, advice from the system about how we can live a more healthy life? Prevention and wellness is the goal. So right now we still have a healthcare system that's based on you know, episodic presentations and fee-for-service. 
And what we need to do is we need to move to a value-based outcome system where we actually reward people for improving their healthcare. And that is going to also be proactively putting forward prevention and well-being. And we see now, you know, there's a huge well-being industry in the world globally. Uh, but what will be so exciting is when that actually gets linked into the healthcare system, the traditional healthcare system, such as the general practices, the hospitals, the allied health. And, and this coming together is going to be a true indication of how we as a population can empower individuals to better manage their own health. It sounds like we're heading into a more holistic world. Yeah, I hope so. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> That's like music to my ears, Edwina. You're, you're preaching to the converted. So thanks for uh, sharing that. Um, do you have any advice for consumers, for patients, themselves if they want to use more of their health information um, like straight away to help um, be more preventative? Absolutely. There's uh, several different avenues. I definitely recommend speaking to your local GP, you know, find out <coughs> from your practice. Excuse me. <coughs> Start that one again. Uh, yeah, if you'd like to use your health information uh, and be more actively involved in, in different ways that, that you can help uh, advance medical science, I think it's really important to speak to your local GP. You know, go to your doctor, ask them what's possible, what can you participate in? They'll be able to find out what type of research studies might be happening in their area. They can contact their local primary health network. They can contact their local health district. These are the kind of things that you'll be able to be involved in. And there's also lots of specialty organisations as well. So you can ring up, say, Diabetes Australia if you've got diabetes, and they'll be able to help inform what type of research you can be involved in. Sounds a little bit like donating blood, except it's <laughs> donating data. It's a little bit like donating blood. You're right. We are donating data. There's, and remember, you can do it in different ways. So it can be de-identified or it can be, uh, you know, where they have full information about you and um, you're participating every step of the way. I have a non-healthcare question. Um, yeah. Because you have such a great background. Fire away. <laughs> you work in film and PR and uh, two parts of this question. How did you end up in healthcare and being an expert in, in data? Um, and second is I noticed uh, that you worked on the movie The Matrix, which was filmed in Australia. Mm -hmm. And did you get to meet Keanu Reeves? Okay, big question. So yeah, my background before I started working in healthcare was in the film industry. Um, and I worked on The Matrix with Keanu Reeves and I, I got to watch him. <laughs> I didn't actually meet him. I met the Wachowski brothers though. They were very cool. So I worked on all the visual effects. And what's really interesting about that background is that visual effects is a room of people sitting at computers. It's not dissimilar to software and software development. And so I found that actually a lot of the operations experience I gained working in the film industry is directly related to software development. Um, equally, you know, one of the, the most important things about the film industry is that you're telling a story and you're creating an emotional journey and you really want to engage people and motivate behaviour change. And, and I guess that also leads to my background in public relations and marketing. 
And one of the things that, you know, I would love to do with the health industry and with uh, software and healthcare is to create software that motivates behaviour change. So how do we get people excited about healthcare? How do we get the average consumer to start to follow their doctor as a, you know, leader and authority, a key influencer? Um, how do we move people towards, you know, informed direction? Uh, we see right now there's a lot of people following people in health and wellbeing because they have a high profile, they might be a celebrity, uh, but they actually don't have that that background, that academic background that is really important if you're going to be making decisions about your own health. And I would love to bring, you know, some of the excitement, the storytelling and the creativity from the film industry into healthcare software development. That sounds so exciting. Thank you so much for um, uh, pioneering, you know, data sharing and um, your leadership in this space. It's so important, as you say, to use data to help us uh, help pa uh, patients and consumers better in the system. And then as we try to pivot the whole um, titanic ship of the health system towards wellness and prevention, you know, it's so important to be informing healthy living on a day-to-day -day basis and, and the behaviour change that you're talking about. That, that sounds really exciting. We must have you back when you, when you, crack it and um yeah we need some we need some updates yeah <laughs> absolutely kevin yeah definitely saxon and kevin it's really inspiring you know looking at osana too and the social enterprise that you're creating and the new model of clinical care and i think that's pivotal to you know moving towards this uh, value-based healthcare platform and and you know that's inspiring for people like me too Oh, thank you so much. Well, we're just trying to help on the ground and encourage healthy living. So we definitely need software partners to help us along the way. And I think we can, um, we'll do it together. So thank you so much. Um, and thank you again for joining uh, our podcast. We um, look forward to having you back, Edwina. Um, and, but just thank you so much for your time. And um, any, any last tips on data? Like if you wanted um, Australians to know about data, what would be your sort of key takeaway that you want everyone to bear in mind? Yeah. Uh, top tip on data is be informed. That's a good one. All right, well, thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Thanks so much. Soon. See you soon. Nice to meet you. Thank you.